Just before the legislature recessed for the holidays, something very strange happened. The legislature, the attorney general, and the Health Policy Commission all took aim, to varying degrees, at Mass General Brigham, the state's largest hospital system and its largest employer. On the very same day, the House passed a bill backed by Speaker Ron Mariano that would throw roadblocks in front of a Mass General Brigham plan to expand into Westwood, Woburn, and Westboro. Attorney General Maura Healey released the results of her own investigation into the expansion plan and concluded it would yield an annual profit of $385 million for Mass General Brigham and most likely increase healthcare costs in the state. And the Health Policy Commission held its annual cost trends hearing amid a growing push to impose price caps on the state's academic medical centers, with Mass General Brigham at the top of the list. With all that as backdrop, welcome to the podcast. I'm Bruce Moll of Commonwealth Magazine, and I'm joined by two healthcare experts who are going to help break down what's going on. John McDonough, a professor at the T.H. Chan School of Public Health at Harvard University, and Paul Haddis, a fellow at the Lone Institute. Welcome to you both. Nice to be here with you, Bruce, and happy holiday. And, uh, safe, safe to you, Johnny. Happy holidays, Bruce. And uh, it was an interesting week and an interesting day, so look forward to chatting about it. John, let's start with you. From an overview of 30,000 foot level, what do you make of all these maneuverings regarding Mass General Brigham? I guess the metaphor I would use is storm clouds circling over MGB, Mass General Brigham. And it in some way feels similar to and different from, but more similar to what happened in the middle of last decade when the uh, Partners Healthcare attempted to take over South Shore Hospital and another chain of hospitals north of Boston. And we're well along in doing it. And then the Health Policy Commission and the Attorney General and others came together and blocked that from happening and partners pulled back from it. Uh, now partners is no more, it's MGB, but there's a similar kind of activity going on with trying to create these new outpatient facilities. You know, when I first saw the story about the attorney general's findings, I thought 385 million would have been the total revenue, but I had to do a double take when I looked and said, whoa, 385 million in annual profits. That's nothing to sneeze at, even in healthcare, even in Massachusetts, that's a significant piece. And so I'm wondering at MGB, were they, did they learn from the South Shore fiasco? And do they have a strategy to get beyond this? Or are they going to be caught in the same kind of embarrassing dilemma that they faced now about eight years ago? I think that's a big question right now. Paul, how about you? Well, we put together the, the three uh, events of that day by, by uh, picking a sort of a quote from each and, and why MGB might be worried about all three. The speaker's bill, you know, he had uh, orally said before that, that we needed to change the way we look at expansion because we need to worry about overall spending and the future of community hospitals. We had A.G. Healy and her, the day that she put out that uh brief report about her worries about the expansion said we can't, defa- can't afford to pay more for health care 
when she spoke to the Health Policy Commission. Andrew Dreyfus, whose, whose voice was part of, but he was sort of drowned out in some of the discussion there, said, you know, the actions out of on affordability by the HPC and the government, state government at this point, given what's ahead of us, are insufficient. And if I were the MGB leadership, hearing all three say that, I'd be uh, a bit worried up right now. So let's talk a little bit about what their concerns are with Mass General Brigham. Um, so you guys know this much better than I do, but when the Health Policy Commission held its cost trends hearing, they run all these charts showing, showing whose costs are the highest and their prices. And Mass General Brigham just generally tops the list. Um, and yet, from a public standpoint, this is the sort of a showcase of hospitals in, in Massachusetts. They have uh, Mass General Hospital, Brigham and Women's, which are always recognizes some of the top in the tops in the nation. What's happening? Is, 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 are we fed up with the prices they're charging or what's happening? John, why don't you take a shot at that if you could? I think there's a societal change in the United States that's observable where we are moving in a different direction now or thinking differently when it comes to corporate consolidation, monopoly uh, and antitrust policy. Uh, and we see this in Massachusetts influencing our direction on healthcare policy right now in this example. But you know, about 40 years ago, there was a sea change where the powers that be, led by the uh, former Solicitor General Robert Bork, changed the idea underlying antitrust to say, we no longer care about bigness. As long as you're not raising prices, it's okay. And that led to a period of laissez-faire for four decades in terms of antitrust policy. Now we see in the Biden administration, Alina Khan, who's taken over the Federal Trade Commission, a Tim Wu, a noted anti-monopoly expert as taking a key policy position in the White House, key appointees in the Justice Department. We're undergoing a sea change in the United States on antitrust, going back to um, opposing, allowing companies to get too big. And that also, I think, is going to be a big factor in the future in terms of healthcare consolidation. It's going to take some time to catch up. But I see that coming. And I see very much in Massachusetts reflecting the national signals that are coming that we've gone down a very dangerous path. Just one little irony here, of course, is that uh, one of the key people who approved the creation of Partners Healthcare in 1993-94, when he was Secretary of Health and Human Services for the state of Massachusetts, uh, is now Governor Charlie Baker. And so there's a history here that is just fascinating in terms of how it comes together, but it looks like there's a sea change going on and uh, MGB is about to get caught up in it, I think. Yeah, I, I, here's what I think I would say. I think MGB does incredible things when it comes to teaching, research, patient care, and its community benefit mission. But I think given the total resources that we have available in our state, not just for healthcare, but for other things, they've got to find a way to do all those things and uh, expect much less from government and from premium payers 
to subsidize those things that they can't get from, let's say, government grants for you know research or direct monies for medical education. In other words, do all those incredible things, but it may be about 25% lower of the amount of resources they have to extract from the state, government, and premium payers to do it. I think that you know, not. I think that describes the challenge. How we get there, I think, is is where you know uh, we're all going to be fighting about uh, in these you know months and years to come. By the way, the sharp point of this issue right now is not with the AG or the legislature or the Health Policy Commission. The sharp end of this issue is in the Department of Public Health and whether they're going to grant a certificate of need to MGB to do this expansion. And that's where Charlie Baker comes in. What's he going to do about that? What signal is he going to send either publicly or privately to the to the Department of Public Health on this? Have you seen any indications of where he leans on this? Not at this point. So well, I, I don't. I think they've been close. They, they've been very careful not to yet say that. Yet they, meaning the governor and Mary Lou Sutter, is exactly how they feel. So Paul, the uh, at the cost trends hearing, Ann Klebanski, the president and CEO of Mass General Brigham, uh, given given their dominant position in the market had a, had a very interesting presentation. She described, she and her colleagues on the panel, many of whom are not big fans of Mass General Brigham, all seem to be sort of in agreement that the industry is in a fragile state right now, emerging from COVID. Um, and they were, and, and she was quite emphatic that we're doing everything we can to shift people out of our academic medical center where costs are extremely high into lower cost settings at its other hospitals. Um, she, she kept making that case. Does that hold up? Is, 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 are people buying it? Well, let, let me react to it. And I, I urge our, our listeners to actually go and, and, and listen to that session, which is up on the HPC site. You can watch a video recording. It starts about an hour and a half in. So I thought it was, it was a fascinating discussion, sort of evidencing in some ways the ills and challenges of, of our healthcare system. Ann Klebanski, if you, if you listen to her, she never once used the word prices, I think, in the entire presentation. She talked about the right care in the right place, but was never able to say at the right price, you know, and, and in, in sympathy with the MGB strategy, I mean, they look at a world where, you know, care is moving to the outpatient world, moving away ultimately from, from pure inpatient settings. And they want and desire very much and, and need really to continue to grow their revenue base. And so the ambulatory expansion idea uh, is one from a business organization perspective in their interest, something they you know, wanna do. Uh, at the same time though, from the state's perspective and you know, whether Andrew Dreyfus referred to this or Dr. Dixon referred to this, the notion of expanding out into areas where there's already built infrastructure, there are already people providing care, which when we try to measure comparatively, doesn't seem to be all that different whether it's provided by an MGB provider in those ambulatory care settings historically, or, or you know, a UMass or a Milford hospital related, uh, you know, physician, that it's just a lot more expensive if MGB is going to be there, even worse, even worse. And, and, and I agree with John about where the crux of, the, of, the, of this policy panel is going to be next at, at DPH, is that 
if it takes care and market share away, as, as A.G. Healy's report predicts, it might even threaten, you know, I'm not sure the ultimate viability of some of those institutions, but certainly weaken them. You know, will, will some of them, you know, I'll use Dixon's place at UMass, for example, that subsidizes social workers in inner city Worcester, be able to afford to do so if it loses on the margin of those higher, you know, revenue patients to MGB's ambulatory center. And so, and so I think, you know, you have sort of the competition between one system's desire to grow its revenue base for the world to come, as Ann pointed out, they're thinking about innovation and all the other challenges versus what might be not only the needs of other organizations, but the needs of the state. And, and I think that's the, the crux of, of, of that uh, evaluating that challenge. And the AG submission, I think only adds fuel to the fire of concern uh, over what the impacts might be, but we'll get into that, I'm sure, in a moment. John, um, there's a tendency to look at it in a, uh, that, that Mass General Brigham is almost predatory in the way they're going after this business. But, you know, uh, this has been a well-established for some time that routine care at Mass General Brigham is going to be a lot more expensive and maybe not all that different from what you get at a community hospital. But I think in the minds of consumers, it's a big difference. And they, if you were given the choice, in a lot of cases, you're going to go to the best, if the perceived best. And that's a problem in our state all along. That that's where people go uh, for routine care. Um, so, in other words, I'm, I guess what I'm trying to ask is: Is Mass General Brigham really predatory, or are they just sort of saying we're the best, and you got to pay pay top dollar for the best? And how do you turn that around if you're a regulator? Well, I think that all across the country, what we see are dominant major academic medical centers that have a dominating presence in their markets and continue to expand. And they may be nominally not-for-profit, and they act very much like any for-profit business in terms of grabbing up opportunities and growing as much as they can, which is exactly what happens outside of healthcare as well. It's just, you know, this notion that healthcare is different. Uh-uh, it's not. It follows the very same pattern. Um, uh, Partners Healthcare got a strong message in 2015. Your growth in the hospital expansion and consolidation is over. Get away from it. Uh, and so now, they're trying to consolidate and grow in the outpatient space. And it looks like there's a growing consensus of opinion that they're going to get slapped down on that as well. Uh, and that their, their ability to just keep growing, because the truth is this, nobody's building new hospitals these days. Uh, for the most part, except for partners in other places, um, the acute care hospital is, is, is in a very different place than it was a long, you know, years ago, uh, but it's the outpatient and particularly the hospital-owned outpatient that is where the gold is these days, and that's why you see it. And the truth is, you know, consumers judge things through lots of different measures, but we know that consumers are awfully impressed by nice, shiny new buildings and pretty carpets and nice photos and nice music flowing in the air and everything like that. I remember about 10 years ago, I had a cohort of about 50 Brits, British physicians who came over here 
for education at Harvard. And we brought them to a partner's healthcare facility and they walked in and they were like, they were kind of like Dorothy in the Emerald City. They just were agog and jaws dropping at the opulence of the place. But then they spent time inside and they came out and they said, yeah, these people are doing medicine in the Taj Mahal, but they don't do anything differently than what we do back home in the UK. And this notion that pretty facilities equals ultimately superior care is not true. You know, the, let me build on that. You know, the, if you listen to Anne Klebanski, you know, she talked about rightfully that, you know, that part of their contributing to cost containment is to try to get people into lower cost sitting settings for care. You know, I remember we pay, unfortunately, in this country for care by price times quantity as opposed to a, you know, a more of a fixed Kaiser style capitated payment system. So we just, you know, pay more as, as we as we both do more and, and pay higher prices for it. The, the the problem that Anne had though, even though she was sharing in the morning that how much she's trying to help by getting care into the right setting, is that the attorney general in the afternoon files a report saying when they got access to the partner's planning documents that that ambulatory care expansion proposal for those sites and maybe there's some others you know in, in the works as well is really about generating additional profits you know down the road and so it's not just about um, you know and, and, and here's the thing the profits are not really the worst thing for us as premium payers the, the question is how much more revenue do they take to get that profit so if they earn 800 million more you know the profit let's say is around 400 million as she, she, she was projecting the attorney general if, if, if they have to earn 800 more million of revenue, $400 million expense, our premiums are tied to that 800 million of additional revenue. If they need 1.4 billion additional revenue that they'll gain from expansion and a billion dollars of expense, that's also 400 million of profit, but our premiums are now supporting an additional 1.4 billion. So it's, you know, it's, it's almost as if, and I mean this somewhat tongue in cheek, we'd be better off saying to them, hey, don't expand, and you know, when you rebuild the Faulkner in the Mass General, you're, you're scheduled to add 170 beds, maybe only add the ones you need that aren't tied to ambulatory care expansion. And you do that, and even if you didn't change your prices or the HPC, you know, and the government didn't do something to control the highest price providers, you go and do your own merry thing and earn your you know, usual 2% to two profitability. We should just, every December 31st, write a check out to you for 385 million every year. And that would be cheaper for the premium payer than letting them expand where, where we're, again, we're going to pay premiums tied to, to you know, a much higher number than that, if you if understand what I'm saying. So it's not even their profit as the revenues they need to grow to earn that profit that raises our premium. So that's the dilemma that we, the, the, the state and the affordability challenge have from, from an expansion like that. And so the AG's report only highlights the reality, and I think she's also trying to point the Health Policy Commission, which you know doesn't have uh, yet cost market impact review power, but you know sort of pointing them as they do their final analysis here about what it is they ought to study in detail. So, John, um, help me out a little bit on. Um, it, it's, so it sort of sounds like you folks are saying uh, the powers that be political-wise, politics-wise in Massachusetts are saying you can't expand, even internally, you can't, ex they're, they're growing resistance to expanding into the suburbs and what have you. 
But the other uh, thing that's being floated by the Health Policy Commission is some sort of price regulation, price caps. Um, and you guys j just recently had a sit down with Stu Altman where he sort of said, uh, he was sort of talking about that, but you guys also raised the issue of Maryland, which has m more strict price regulation. How, I mean, how do you see this sort of evolving in terms of, you know, actually getting into setting rates? I can see where Charlie Baker might be a little wary of that approach, given his background. What are these two approaches and how would they work, John? So Massachusetts, like Maryland, way back, in the 70s and 80s into the 90s had statutory legal budget control over acute care hospitals. It was a system called rate setting. And it worked for a little while, and then it didn't. And then the state deregulated it in 1991. Maryland had a similar kind of model, a little different, and they kept it in place. And they've kept it in place now for over 50 years. But they've continued to modernize it and evolve it away from just strict control over acute care hospital rates. And it's now much broader. And there's evidence that it's actually doing well. It's kind of much more of a global healthcare payment model. And it's getting more attention. In fact, just last week, a guy named uh, Zeke Emanuel, who's at uh, UPenn and is a noted health policy expert on TV a lot, uh, came up and talked to the Mass Association of Health Plans annual meeting, and he recommended that Massachusetts and other states look at the Maryland model as a potential pathway for where to go. People like me, I was in the legislature in the 1980s and 90s. I was one of the last people to oppose Charlie Baker's deregulation of the rate setting. Someone once told me to please turn out the lights when I left the room. Um, but it's, uh, it's a really difficult process to do. Uh, Maryland is advantaged because it's got only one big kahuna system with Johns Hopkins, whereas we have a whole host of them all over the state. And it's just a colossal sucking up of attention and energy when the state gets into that. And legislators, for the most part, don't understand it and get so confused so I would just say, yeah, let's take a good, serious look at it and uh, let's look before we leap, because in some cases, the cure can, in fact, be worse than the disease, depending on how it's done. And I have real doubts about our ability in Massachusetts to do something as complicated and politically fraught as that when we get twisted around in circles over whether or not MGB can expand its outpatient. Here's what's interesting to me about that concept. And I'll, you know, and we did interview Stu and who, you know, has a history of being a regulator in the wage and price control era. He sort of wanted to shy away from it. But he also told us that in the Stu Altman view of the world, the way to spend less on healthcare is to spend less. What I think he means by that is I use the bathtub analogy. However much water we put in the bathtub of healthcare dollars, the hospitals, the doctors, pharma, they'll drain it. The more money, more water we put in, the more they'll drain out. Well, at least the Maryland approach and concept for hospitals where they each get a budget for the year, 
Uh, we know exactly how much water they're going to drain out at the end of the year, you know, and, 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 and I think it has, you know, we'll see what will, what will be in the evaluation of that. It's really early in, in, its, in its life, I think, since, since 2019. But I do think this notion of whether ultimately the best would be what they call a fixed budget for everything, you know, pure Kaiser style capitation, but, it, you know, politically very hard to do, but maybe incrementally. Uh, we ought to try a Maryland style approach and maybe even try like, you know, the other thing is for our, for our hospitals that are, that are challenged each year just to make it, and the legislature having to constantly go and find bailout dollars for them, maybe we should experiment by putting them on fixed budgets, uh, guaranteeing them, see if they can, you know, be supported managerially to live on that and not, you know, having to believe that every year we got to figure out how to bail somebody out. So uh, uh, I, I think it's, I think it's worth trying to at least think very hard, even with all, as John points out rightly, the, the challenges of, of, of thinking about such an approach. I, I would say, I would say, Bruce, that I, I think that um, we have to be really careful. The notion that we could sort of try out Maryland, it's a little, it's, you can't try out being pregnant. It's kind of, it's all in or not when, you know, and uh, I would just say, I think that, um, you know, perhaps the idea of putting partners on some kind of a what what's it called, Paul? A correction plan or something like that? Perform, performance improvement plan. A performance improvement plan is probably a step that ought to be attempted before we give up on this model that we've got. For most of the past decade, states right. all across the country were envious of the Massachusetts approach because it really did seem to be working. Now it seems like it's starting to veer off the road a little bit, but I think it may be too early to judge that that system is a failure and we've got to go all the way into Maryland. I, it's a reasonable question, well, fair, but I have doubts up. about it. Fair enough, but then let's do what the HPC says and Andrew Dreyfus reinforced what he, what he spoke last week, which is we need a PIP process that's built around a hospital. Right, right now, you yeah. can only do a performance improvement plan against uh, an insurer or physician group, and you know, mind you, the HPC hasn't done one against anybody, but you need to change the way you measure hospital performance under spending. And you know, and I have my own thoughts about, uh, and I think Chia could do this with what I call a hospital attributable total medical expense that they could calculate, but they haven't gone down that road yet. But, but I, I it would be worth trying what John says first, perhaps, before we do you know, something, uh more radical, you know, and, and, and again, the, the goal here is not to emasculate Mass General Brigham or Boston Children's Hospital, I haven't mentioned them, they, their name yet, you know, and, and, and both of them have seen their net assets grow incredibly during COVID, the MGB up to 14 billion and children's up to 7 billion. But it's to say, as, as uh, you know, Stu Altman sort of said in frustration last week, when he was hearing what, what, what some of our hospital leaders were saying, and he said, you know, I'm sorry, we can't just say, uh, you know, keep things as they are, you know, don't do anything that could potentially harm any patient when you uh, are getting huge monies uh, that you take from patient care and you reallocate to other things, you know, like, like research. And so I, I do think, you know, this notion of, of, of trying to stop some of that kind of uh, subsid cross-subsidization and maybe the performance improvement plan approach can help us, uh, you know, write things a little bit more, so. One last little question for both of you. We're getting ready to go into a year that will be an election year. Uh, who knows whether Charlie Baker's gonna run again? 
Clearly, Maura Healy's interested in running again. Whether she would run against him or not, I don't know. But is this the type of issue? There's so much money involved. It affects people in their pocketbook and in their personal lives so much. Is this something that could become a political issue in a governor's race? You know, just briefly, yes or no, what do you think? I'll say yes. I'll, I'll you know, as, as John alluded to, Public Health Council, those, those members are really under the governor's thumb. They have discretion to say, is there clear and convincing evidence, for example, that MGB is effort isn't going to contribute to cost control growth. If they don't, uh, you know, or if they let this go forward, when the data, we are still waiting for the HPC report, says that uh, you know, building on the AG's findings might be worrisome, I think that could be a threat to the governor showing that at the end of the day, even with all his history and rhetoric, uh, healthcare affordability is not what he's standing up for. Remember Morris comment to me, uh, what struck me during her speech was we just can't, and I agree with this, afford to pay more in total than what we're currently paying. John? I think it could, but it's, it's not going to get into the weeds because it's too darn complicated for most people to get their arms around. So it happened in headline fashion. Um, I'm going to do new things to try to rein in the rate of growth of healthcare costs, but I don't think it's going to get down much below that because it's so hard to keep the public's attention when you get down to that level of detail. Well, I want to thank John McDonough and Paul Haddis for joining us today. It was a great discussion and I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me, guys. Great to see you. Thanks. To our listeners, we'll see you again next week.